0: I don't know if you know, but uh, over the last few weeks, um, the, basically, there's been this series on, uh, as it says up here, living in challenging times, and my talk today is the last in this series. So, Anne and Nick have both preached on this, and I recommend that you go back and have a listen. Um, I've given this talk, the title, We Are Not Alone, um, and I'm mostly going to focus on how we live with grief Uh Just to clarify what I mean about this term grief, I mean not more than just bereavement, you know, the feeling that you have when you lose someone. I think grief we can experience if we, in any kind of situation where we experience loss or disappointment in some way. It could be losing a job or losing a friendship. It could be, and I think this is a big thing, when you expect something to be a certain way and it turns out not to be as good as you expected, I think we can experience grief in that kind of situation as well. Um, I think a lot of us have felt some level of grief um, about life in church and how that's changed post-pandemic. Uh, before I say anything else, I just want to say that I do not have all the answers. I haven't worked this out perfectly. Uh, I've probably made more from making, learned more from making mistakes than anything else, so... If any of this sits uncomfortably with you, uh, you're in good company. Uh, So Jess made this lovely slide, by the way. And uh, I like walking. Uh, I love being around mountains. Um, I'm less fussed about climbing them. I I don't think it helps. I'm not a Mark Spicer, that's for sure. I've never climbed anything like that, but uh, more than half of my experiences of climbing mountains is involved getting past a certain height and then um, walking into like dense cloud that's really damp and and you can't see anything. I can't see more than a mile, a mile, a meter in front of me and the walks just felt like a lot of hard work for not much reward. So (laughs) I had that experience of climbing the cobbler one year and then I didn't see any views at all. And then, the, I think the next year, my mark went and climbed the cobbler with some friends and he showed me the photos and I was like, what? That was there? I had no idea. Um, so, I, I, for, I don't know about you, but for me, living with grief at times has felt like that. Like walking through, like in this, surrounded by this dark fog and not being able to see any beautiful views or even the people that I'm with feeling miserable and completely alone, but we're not alone. (laughs) Um, And I'm gonna read some very famous verses from the Bible, from Romans eight. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I used to wonder what the point of these verses was because I thought, you know, it's obvious that God loves us no matter what and that nothing separates us from him. But I guess realizing the kind of persecution that the church was going through at the time these verses were written And actually going through some challenging experiences myself has made me realize that we can really easily be duped into feeling like we're alone and that pain and suffering isolates us from God and from other people and that the love of God is far from us. But that is just, I mean, the reality is quite the opposite. Yes, we believe in miraculous healing in this church, but there is no shame when we are living in the not yet and grappling with pain or sorrow. It absolutely does not separate us from God or from each other. So how do we dispel these feelings of being distant from God and others? Um, I don't think there's a formula to this. We're all really different people and our relationships with God reflect that. So I'm not gonna give you a formula, just some principles which I want to be practical, but also general enough that you could apply them to your own lives and your own relationships with God, even if they look really different to mine. Um, So I've got five in case you're wondering, when is she getting to the end? <laughs> um, so, uh, I know Andy and Nick have mentioned this in their talks before, and I'm going to say it again because it's important. We have to, if we're experiencing grief, we've, we've got to face those feelings at some point. Um, and I'm going to give you a couple of ways first to start with that I hope will help you to do that. So, first one is lament. And... <laughs> um, Lament is massive in the Bible. Uh, Lamentations is a book in the Bible that is just one big long lament. And approximately two thirds of the Psalms, apparently, are songs of lament. Biblical lament is not the same as complaining, although I think if you Googled it or you looked it up in a dictionary, you could kind of use them interchangeably. Uh, But in my search for a definition of biblical lament, I came across this idea which I found really helpful. And it contrasted on the one hand the Israelites in Exodus 16 and 17, when they're going through the desert and they're grumbling about God and saying, oh, he's trying to kill us. Whereas on the other hand, you've got in the Psalms, laments are, and this is a quote from an article I read, which I've linked at the end, uh, an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. Laments in the Bible are generally made in direct conversation with God Uh, Interestingly, when I read Exodus 16 and 17 myself, I noticed that all the complaints and accusations were made to Moses and Aaron, and they're grumbling amongst themselves, but nobody was actually directly talking to God except for Moses himself. And I wonder if the outcome would have been different if they'd been able to speak directly to God. Laments in the Psalms are always made in the context of relationship with God, whereas the complaining the grumbling of the Israelites is made from this perceived distance. Despite everything that he's been doing for them to get them to this point of, you know, like they, he let them out, helped them escape Egypt. They're asking themselves, and it says in Exodus 17:7, 7, is the Lord among us or not? God's still really kind, though. I have to, it's important to know. And he meets his, their needs anyway with manna and water. That's how gracious he is. Um. So... This is a classic example of a psalm of lament, Psalm 102. It's a really long one, so I'm not going to read it all. Uh, I just wanted to break it down and look at a few specific verses to help us understand what biblical lament could look like. So the first two verses are, Hear my prayer, Lord. Let my cry for help come to you. Do not hide your face from me when I am in distress. Turn your ear to me when I call, answer me quickly. So he asks God for help. He starts by asking God for help, and I think that's a really important thing to have in a lament. (laughs) Um, Then it gets very dramatic. For my days vanish like smoke. My bones burn like glowing embers. My heart is blighted and withered like grass. I forget to eat my food. I eat ashes as my food and mingle my drink with tears. Because of your great wrath, you have taken me up and thrown me aside. He's being brutally honest about how he's feeling and maybe his theology is a bit dubious. Maybe he's angry with God. He's maybe angry with himself because he believed or whatever he's done to incur great wrath. Um, But I think that's really important, actually, that we're just honest about how we feel with God. He can take it. And then verses 12 and 13. And then I can't remember what the last bit is. It's also in the psalm. But you, Lord, sit enthroned forever. Your renown endures through all generations. You will arise and have compassion on Zion for it's time to show favor to her. He will respond to the prayer of the destitute. He will not despise their plea. I mean, it's possible that he's just reminding himself of truths that he knows about God. But I think that it's very possible that by lamenting and by being really honest with God and himself and asking for help, in a situation, the psalmist is actually hearing God's perspective as he writes. I've experienced this myself. I'm big into journaling. I find it really helpful. And I found that when I write down my deepest, darkest sorrows, questions and fears to God and ask for his help, it's opened a window in my heart and mind to his perspective as I'm writing. And it's led me into worship a step towards some level of emotional healing and supernatural peace in whatever situation I'm in. You don't have to be a journaler, but I think the the point there is be honest with God and, and I think you'll find that, you know, just like Tim was singing, as we behold his face, your perspective does change. Uh, second principle is uh, to learn about ourselves. <coughs> so... Uh, if you've been around the last few weeks, you might have heard Andy mention on a few occasions about us not self-medicating when we're feeling down or just, you know, just trying to fix things ourselves or make ourselves better by using unhealthy coping mechanisms. And one thing that I found really helpful as a tool in that regard is to learn about myself and what my own sort of knee-jerk reactions to pain and grief are. Because I think it can really be easy to get into patterns of self-medicating behavior without realizing what's causing them so a few years ago when i was going through a particularly difficult time i got into a really bad habit of coping by binge watching the thing is i didn't really know why i was doing it and i kept trying to stop and i couldn't figure out why i was finding it so difficult until i realized years later with a nudge from god towards some tools which i'd be happy to share with you if you'd like to know more after but the root issue wasn't the watching, it was a coping mechanism that I was using to avoid thinking about unresolved grief and pain. I didn't feel like I had the courage or motivation to deal with. And recognizing that's been so helpful, because I still have a tendency to do this when I'm feeling rubbish, but I'm quicker, I hope now, to notice what's going on, and quicker to say, okay, God, what's going on here, and, and actually get to the root issue. This might sound really alien to you. That's okay. Knee jerk reactions to pain and grief will look different for different ones of us. And if you don't know what yours are, I would recommend exploring this and let God guide you in the process. Ask him good questions. Listen to what he has to say. After all, he knows us better than we know ourselves. (laughs) And uh, you might need help from a counselor to help with this. And that's okay as well. I think sometimes... Having an objective perspective from someone who can see outside the fog can be really helpful. And why not get help from someone who's professionally cha- trained to do that? Uh, last week, Nick talked about the power of asking God good questions in response to grief. So I've got a couple more questions that you could use to work through with God that might help you to do this. Um, and we're not going I'm not going to take any time to look at it now, but I will post these on Hope Family Facebook afterwards. So if you want them, Um, they'll be there. So what are my gut reactions to pain, grief or fear? Are these healthy? And what healthy habits can I introduce into my life that help me to draw near to you God as my gut reaction? Okay, this is number three. Um, So invite elders in to walk alongside us when we're going through difficult times. The enemy intends for suffering and pain to kill her and destroy us and to make us feel like we're completely alone. And, um, but with God's help, we can actually turn this on its head and we can use our pain and suffering to unite us. Because we all go through hard times. I know I've had those thoughts like, oh, no one, no one understands what I'm going through or nobody cares about me. Um, but the truth is that we're the body of Christ and we're so inextricably linked Every part is valuable and needed. Uh, I think the Bible says it better than I could. So I'm going to read another bit, which is also famous from 1 Corinthians 12. So God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and the parts we think are less honorable we treat with special honor, and the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. I know that it can be difficult sometimes to be vulnerable with other people and when you've experienced hurt in this area in the past you've been let down or someone said something unhelpful and you maybe feel like it's difficult to trust people but I think it's really important that we do find people we trust and invite them in. I had, uh, I mean, most people wouldn't know about this, but I, I had a miscarriage back in 2015. And honestly, like, I was devastated. It was physically and emotionally a really horrible experience. But I really experienced the love and this like supernatural comfort of God at the time and really amazing love and support from friends, some of who are here, <laughs> when I needed it. But a few months down the line and I was still grieving. And if anything, it was worse because the adrenaline of the initial, I've got to get through this situation had worn off and everyone else had moved on. And maybe they felt awkward about asking me how I was doing, which is fair enough. And I felt embarrassed to bring it up. Um, So it was much harder to make the choice to draw near to God or to be vulnerable with the people I loved and trusted because I felt like I should be over it. But I think I've realized now down the line that actually grief takes... It can take a really long time to work through, and that's okay. (laughs) Um, Let's not neglect being vulnerable about where we're at, about our grief with God or each other, even if it's months or years down the line, because we think we should be over it. Let's not judge other people and think they should be over something when they're not there yet. Okay, this is point number four. Uh, Recognize the joy in the everyday. Sometimes going through a painful experience can so consume us that it kind of blinds us to the everyday joy set before us, like all those lovely small moments that are actually, I think, part of that feast that God sets before us in the presence of our enemies. He is our daily bread, and yes, that daily bread is available to us in obviously holy moments, like when we pray and read our Bible and sing worship music or whatever, but his daily bread is just as available to us, I believe, in that first cup of tea in the morning and in the way that your child smiles. If anything, those ordinary moments for me when I've been in dark places have really shone brighter to me than if things had just been fine. So, most of you know this, but uh, our oldest daughter, Saffron, was severely visually impaired between the ages of about four and seven. It's a very long story, which I'm not gonna go into, but I was looking back at some pictures when her eyes were at their worst, and she was about five or six, and I was just struck by the childlike wonder and the joy that she still exuded and found in these things that she was able to do, although in a lot of ways life was difficult for her and she was struggling at school. Um, I mean, she was blissfully unaware of the uncertainty of her future, which we as parents were like scared of, obviously, (laughs) and grieving about. Um, And as young children are, she was like totally consumed, I've got some pictures, actually, um, by the present, her present experiences, and dancing especially was a big thing for us. I'm not saying that you should all dance, but in our family, we like dancing, and dancing is just something that she loves. Um, It was one of the only things that was unaffected by whether she could see or not, and so she danced almost every day, and we danced with her almost every day, and there was so much joy in those moments, and... Sometimes it felt like a kind of warfare, and maybe it was because we were laughing and dancing in the face of uncertainty and pain. Uh, I work with people who come to the UK from other countries, and a lot of them are asylum seekers and refugees, and they've experienced some pretty intense and terrible things, and trauma. And, but it always really moves me because a lot of the time they're laughing, they're forming friendships, they're looking hopefully to the future, and they're able to find joy and pleasure in really ordinary, everyday things. And the other day, I was chatting to a couple of Ukrainian women in my class. Um, one of my classes about breakfast. And uh, one of them totally lit up when she talked about how good she was telling me, you must eat sandwiches for breakfast. It's like the best thing ever. <laughs> she got really excited about eating a smoked salmon sandwich for breakfast, which I did try, and it was it was good. But um, Putin may have stolen her home, but... It's, He certainly hadn't stolen away her joy of eating sandwiches for breakfast. There is so much power when we create moments of beauty and love and tenderness in the face of suffering. The enemy wants us to use pain to dehumanize us, to make us forget who we're created to be. But we're beings that are made for and made to love and to create. And this is still true, whatever we're going through. You know, as I said before, working through grief, it does take a long time sometimes and it's a process, but we can't rush it through to the end. And um, I think it's really important for us not to get caught to thinking, oh, once this is over, I'll be able to do this and that and live life to the full. But it's just not true. We've got life to the full now, no matter what we're going through. Um, He's given us eternal life. That's knowing him now, today, in this moment. And I think also it's important that we don't become people who feel like the whole world revolves around us and what we're going through, or even like what our little closed communities are going through. I mean, there are terrible things happening here in Glasgow, all over the world, all the time. And I do believe that it's important that we open our hearts to grieve with and lament on behalf of the world and the suffering that's happening all over it. I mean, still working out how to do this in a healthy way, how to read the news and not feel really overwhelmed by it. I find that quite difficult. Um, And I think that's maybe a whole other conversation to have another time. But um, what I will say is I I believe that when we truly lament and allow our hearts to break for those suffering outside our little bubbles, we'll start to do what we as a church are called to do, to be moved by the compassion of God into intercessory prayer and action, we're called to be shining lights into the darkness. So let's not let the enemy trick us into thinking that this has been stolen away from us when we're walking through difficult times. Because his faithfulness and goodness and love are in no way diminished by what we're going through. His calling to us as individuals and as you know the big church body of Christ hasn't changed. Uh, so this leads me to my final fifth and final principle which I believe can help us to dispel the fog of misery and isolation and that's to remind ourselves of age-old truths and really one of the the central key truths as we read in Romans 8 is that Jesus died for us and we sang about it as well this morning the cross is God's ultimate expression of love for us yes (laughs) the closeness we have with god and the lack of separation that i've been talking about it's only been achieved because he died for us and reconciled us to himself and he's made us one with each other as part of his body it's amazing mind-blowing stuff and we can take courage and hope in this and in so many other incredible truths in the bible assurances encouragements that are there for us to read to pray through, to sing, to declare and to remember when we're going through difficult times but um, another way that we can remind ourselves of these age-old truths is by participating in communion. So this physical and symbolic act which Jesus himself asked us to do and as you can see we're going to do it today. Yeah, I just say that it's really important actually for us to be regularly remembering that Jesus died for us, that he's alive again because it's it's what changes everything. So I'm going to finish by reading Romans 8 again and wherever you're at, whatever you're going through, whether you're going through difficult times or you're doing really well or somewhere in between, um, take a minute to reflect on the truth in this because it applies to all of us wherever you're you're at, and, and then we're actually going to take communion together, and I'll explain what will happen after that. So, Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I'm just going to pray. Jesus, thank you that you are with us, whatever we're going through, and that you have shone your light into our hearts and given us this great, great gift of love and closeness with you and I just ask that you'd help us to remember this all the time, every day, and and to have our eyes open to the wonderful face that you set before us each day. And, yeah, would you be speaking to us as we remember you now by uh, taking this bread and juice? And, yeah, thank you for everything that you did on the cross. Amen.